Our generation faces a question that most of our parents and grandparents never had the luxury to consider. How do you make your passion your career? My guest this week loved running. He loved everything about it, and he was good at it too. He trained alongside internationally renowned marathon runners and even worked with the fastest man alive, Usain Bolt. But deep down, it wasn't enough. And the whole time, a question lingered in the back of his head. Where do I go from here? My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is Matt Taylor, co-founder and CEO of running brand Tracksmith. Matt and I discuss how he used his eclectic past, including studying neuroscience, living and training with Kenyan runners, and working at Puma to create Tracksmith, a brand that strives to champion the running class. Matt, thank you so much. You're on the pod. I'll... I'll I'll start this off that hopefully doesn't intimidate you or bother you in a sense. So I first saw Tracksmith and I was like, this seems weird. <laughs> I was like, but as we were saying, you know, before we were going, I, I really want to be a runner and I am trying to run. I run a lot. I'm trying to like be in better shape. I also just feel better when I do it. I'm not a straight edge person, but I feel great after I run. Yeah. Like hang out with me after I run. I'm just a nice guy. And I was looking for, you know, other kind of like brands and things like that. And I feel like a lot of people have these, like, these are the people that you trust for recommendations. Like this is the guy who told you about Radiohead or something at that time. And I had a friend um, who is, you know, a great guy. And uh, I'm sure he'll text me when he hears this. And he was telling me about Tracksmith. I was like, I don't know. I was like, this is just like this running brand, but I tried it and I've totally fallen in love with Tracksmith. I'm like as deep as I possibly can be on like what you guys are about and so much that I was like, I got to talk to this guy for the podcast. So you're in good company, but I am like just your biggest fan. Right so now. why was it, why did it feel weird at first? I'm why curious. did it feel weird? Yeah. Um, cause I'm, uh, it's all about me. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's, I am probably really elitist i am uh also very skeptical of stuff and when i say weird i mean it in a good way yeah okay, okay. don't worry That's people, what I was just people sure, will yeah. still be listening <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah i i was just like i don't i don't i don't understand this like is could there could there really just be like a brand that's about running um because when you think about it there's a gajillion brands that have done stuff that have encompassed running but i think your messaging your branding your your logo, your design, your product, everything, like I got it. Like I I in the sense that like I was like, okay, I got it so much that I was like it, this I don't know if I should have gotten this this easy. Like it seemed kind of perfect. Yeah. I mean, I think there's just a lot of elements that came together when we put when we when we were starting out that just made it feel different in that space, right? Cuz there was obviously there's a lot of running brands that exist and there's a lot of activewear and sportswear brands, but um, I think we just brought together a couple different things that I, I asked why you thought it was weird because we no, had that fine, yeah. we had that in the beginning a lot of like people weren't really sure what to make of it. You know, were these fashion guys trying to do running? Were they running guys that were going way off the deep end? Exactly on the fashion side. And, yeah. Um. So it's just yeah, it was a it was a hybrid of all of those things, and for a lot of people, it clicked right away. And for other people, it's, it takes time. But the funniest thing is when there were people who were hating on us early on, you know, in, in the running, running world, it's a, it's a, the, the subculture is a, you know, it's a, 
I don't know. It's, I guess it's just a example or it's a, it's a microcosm of the real world in some yeah. ways, but it's like uh, it seems to be a little, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems to have, a, it's a, it's a special place. And, um, but a lot of those people now are like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. You guys are for real. You actually understand the sport. You understand what you're doing. Your products are really good. You know, now I get it. And so it's, it's, I just, I'm always curious where people first heard of us. No. Yeah. What they thought of us, what the perception was. Well, bef- I just before find it we, interesting. no, it's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked because I think, you know, I, I, you know, one of the reasons why I make this pod too is because I, I love trying to understand more about who these people are that are making these products, you know, what makes them tick. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of consumer that as a lot of the listeners are too, that you really want to understand everything about it. And, you know, I think for Tracksmith too, and this is like not an ad, like I, I, kept diving deeper into it. Mm-hmm. You should have seen all the tabs I had. I think I had like 70 tabs open of every product. And I'm like, oh, that, that's not in stock. Well, I kind of want to, do I want it? I'll just add myself to the mailing list. Like I'll do, and like, I just got really deep into it. And, um, you know, and we'll jump a little bit more into the story in a minute here, but like, you are also the first brand that uh, convinced me to wear the like tank top. Oh, nice. The, yeah. the you know, the, the, the singlet yeah. type thing? Yeah. Dude, that thing's fire. Yeah. <laughs> so I go running with it and, and uh, I, I don't know. It's, this is, I swear, this, this sounds kind of tacky, but I'm like, you know, so excited here that I don't know if I became a better runner and I'm not asking you to make this claim, but as I was running and I was wearing this stuff and I felt really dope wearing it, I ran good. Yeah. I, th- I mean, you know, I felt good, so I was performing good. Right. I but, mean, there's a mental component to running, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. It was. I was like, okay, it's it's maybe it's the tank top. Yeah, could is be. It, is it the shoes? Is it? Could yeah. Um, but I want to talk about you because obviously you're you know one of two people of Tracksmith. But what what's kind of your your backstory here? Like, where did you where did you come from originally? Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and spent my whole childhood there. My family's still there. Um, and uh, went off to college. Um up in Connecticut and have pretty much been in New England since, since then. Um, still get back to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. My roots are there. I think a lot of the like things that shaped me come from that and from like, you know, how I grew up and where I grew up. Um, well, in, in what sense? Um, so I don't know. I think like my, my parents were entrepreneurial. Uh, oh. my mom more out of, uh, I guess, desire and my dad more out of like need because my dad worked in the steel industry. Yeah, I was going to say. um, And my mom's whole family, my brother and I are actually the first generation of men in our family not to work in coal or steel. So we have a deep, deep roots in coal and steel. And um, so my, my dad worked in the steel industry and, you know, the, obviously it sort of went under overnight, or at least it seemed like it at the time. I'm sure is more of a slow decay now looking back. But as a child, I just remember it was like one day my dad worked in steel and the next day he didn't. And so um, he sort of, you know, jumped around looking for for jobs and, um, you know, finally sort of landed, you know, in, in the career that he ended up doing for a very long time and retired from. But it just sort of at the time when I was like an impressionable youth, I just remember thinking like, you know, it had a little bit of an impact on me and, and, and my mom ran like a, it was like a, 
like a colonial Williamsburg type of country store. You know, they were really into that era. And, and so my like dad... Like peanut brittle? And not the food so much as okay. the like interiors. Interior oh, design. Yeah, yeah. okay. So my dad was making furniture. <laughs> um, and my brother now is master craftsman. So he like... He, I, I'm not the artistic one in the family. My brother definitely got that side of it. And um, But yeah, it just was interesting to sort of grow up and looking back on it now, just thinking like you know, really shaped how I, how I viewed careers. Like there wasn't this thing of like, oh, my dad worked in the same job for his entire life and was able to retire from it. It was sort of like, you got to kind of get out there and, and make some things happen yourself. And so that kind of just stuck with me, went to college. Wait, know, how old were you at that time when your dad shifted careers? Probably like under 10. Okay. Yeah. I'm not yeah. great with, with my memory. No, I, no, that's I was like okay. under 10. Because I think that's, that's definitely... So my, you know, my dad had different careers at the time. And I think there's something about that, like you were saying too, is most of our parents or our grandparents, that generation, you're, yeah, you had a very linear career. You know, my father-in-law, he, he swept the floor and then he became like, you know, the dude who ran the company Yeah, and that he, you know, step one, step two and, and so on. And I think sometimes now, you know, like people will kind of like rat on millennials and stuff like that. And I think that's, uh, I think there's a certain part that happens when you, when you witness that, you know, it's, it's not just one machine, like that you can kind of like make your own way. Like, I think that's really significant to me. And I, I didn't know that. So that's, yeah, it's really special to hear that. Yeah. And it, at the time, you don't, you're a kid, so you don't, yeah, yeah. You don't think about it You never it know until all, you survey you know? yourself yeah. later. Yeah, exactly. But now <laughs> you're sort of like forced to look back on your life a little bit and you think about all the pieces that come together. And, right. And I think that certainly is, yeah, it's definitely something that helps shaped sort of, you know, an ability to like want to take some risks, um, but also conservative in that in that approach because you know, you're a dad now i'm a i mean you're yeah you're a dad right yeah, yeah that's I mean, right i'm married but a dad too like yeah so you also like got to be a little conservative because you got some people to take care of so yeah you kidding it changes yeah it changes your yeah. entire work yeah. ethic because you're like oh yeah. like i don't mind living off of noodles and sleeping on the floor <laughs> but i don't want my kid to do that yeah exactly. exactly um so you so you go to school and you studied neuroscience yeah behavioral neuroscience it was like a joint program with the psychology and biology department so, so. that's totally in line with running totally <laughs> <laughs> how did, i mean that i mean it's uh, very special what I mean, made again, that happen again this is like go back to your childhood and and yeah. sort of like think about it now as an adult i just remember as a kid it was like my grandmother and my parents were like be a doctor you know just whatever you do sure. be a doctor so i went to school thinking okay i'll be pre-med you know Fire. and i i did that for like a semester not even a semester i didn't <laughs> even get through the first semester and i'm like this really isn't what i want to do but i did like especially sort of physiology and i liked research and mm -hmm. i was really into at the time was getting really into like physiology and running and starting to read a lot about you know, the, the different sort of components of, of the human body and what goes into making a really good runner. And so... Were you running at that time too? I was running, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I was running. Um, I was running a lot. I mean, I was sort of like, yeah, that was my, my number one sort of priority at that stage of my life, I think. And, um, and, you know, also growing up in the era of like big sports and college sports. So I was like, my dream job, if you would have asked like, 18 year old Matt Taylor would have been working in at Gatorade, like in the research lab, you know? Whoa. So I thought, okay, I can like, I keep science going and sort of like move a little bit more into like physiology and, and okay. things like that. So 
but then once you get in, you kind of get stuck with your majors. You don't have a lot of time to like change it around. So anyway, so that's what I ended up studying. And you went through the entire program? I did, yeah. Yeah. So when does this entrepreneurial bug hit into which you're like, yeah, maybe I'm just going to pivot and start a business? Uh, pretty soon. Pretty Actually, it even goes back before. So this is kind of funny. My first entrepreneurial job, we lived, uh, we lived very close. For part of my childhood, we moved around a lot in, mm-hmm. within Pittsburgh. But part of my childhood, I lived uh, very close to a like, little community golf course, like a nine-hole little you know, golf course. And there was a retention pond in the center. And so, um, my brother and I, we used to fish in the pond, but then we would also wade out in the pond. It was disgusting. It was, it was a retention pond. It wasn't like, yeah, I was going to say, and in the muck in the bottom, you could feel golf balls that people would hit into the pond. So we oh. would go in and we would literally, we'd get all the golf balls out of the pond. We'd wash them back at the house and we'd bring them back. And the people that own the golf course, let us just set up a little table on like the fourth or fifth hole. And we would sell golf balls to golfers who basically hit them in the you know water probably the weekend before, and then we're selling it back to them for a quarter. So um, that was really early on. Whoa, but, yeah. So um, uh, so my first job out of school was at IMG, which is like the big sports management and yeah. marketing firm. Yeah. I worked in their interactive group in in Boston, um, and I was there maybe a year, maybe a little over a year. And two of the guys that I worked with. Um, we're like, let's start a web services company. And I was like, amazing, let's do it. You know, I, I'm like 23 years old. And, <laughs> sure. You know, so, so my first, uh, you know, startup was, I was 23, um, and me and two other guys and, and a fourth joined, um, set up shop in Providence. And, you know, we, at IMG, we were working with some amazing clients who at the time were trying to figure out the internet. This was like 2000 and 2001. Um, so we worked with, you know, Manchester United and the New England Patriots and, you know, Tiger Woods. And then we were also working with big brands like Ford who were trying to figure out how to spend their ad dollars online. Right. So it's really interesting. We were like, we could do this too. And so we left and, you know, set up a little shop and well, I it think didn't go anywhere. There's something though about that, like when you realize like that, you know, the birth of the internet, right. And then you have all these brands who basically are solely dependent upon the internet for commerce and how to reach other people, everything is kind of level, right? Because it's like, well, Gatorade buys Google ads. Yeah. What's the difference of me buying a Google ad, yeah. right? I mean, it's the amount of money you can spend, but also there, there's, I think there's something that makes the sort of like entrepreneurial spirit for a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I'll get a Shopify store, yeah, you know, and I can, I can sell some whatever. Um, I think, you know, obviously the difference is if your product's good or not, but so you guys do this, you start this store and you said it just kind of fizzled. Yeah, it wasn't, it was, um, we were, we were basically like an agency for brands doing very, like a lot of flash, you know, this was like, this is the old days of the internet. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing. The other two guys were much more experienced than I was. And so, so yeah, so we did that for a while and, and actually one or two of the guys, basically made it a lifestyle business for 15, 20 years for himself. Um, we had some good clients and it paid the bills and stuff like that, but no one was, you know, getting, getting rich off of it. And so I got to a point where I sort of, I panicked a little bit because um, a lot of my friends, I went to Yale and a lot of my friends yeah. were working on Wall Street or at the big consulting firms and they were making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And here I was sort of floundering, trying to figure out, you know, what I should be doing. And so um, thought maybe I should go back to business school. 
Um, maybe I should work in finance. And so I bounced around a little bit. I, I did a small stint in finance and um, actually started my MBA and didn't finish my MBA. Um, and then eventually just sort of realized that running more than anything, more than just sports broadly, but running specifically was something I was really passionate about. Because the I, entire time you're running. You're yeah, still running. I'm running. Yeah. I mean, I ran all through college and then I wasn't quite good enough to keep it going after college. I still, I still did, but, um, you know, never, never sort of got to that point where I could make a living or even get much money at all from it. So, um, so I let that dream die pretty quickly after college, but I still was, I was really into it. Um, and so, yeah, so sort of, I started focusing more and more on, on running and I did some things that I think in hindsight, maybe were a little bit like I was a little bit too early to do them. Um, I actually had a podcast, uh, ironically. Uh, was it like a running pod? What was it called? It's called Runnerville. It's called Runnerville. It's, a dope it's terrible. Oh, it's Wait, terrible. why is it terrible? Oh, I don't know. It's a, do you, it was bad. Well, I want to sidebar here. Do you often over-criticize your previous things that you've done? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I'd have to ask someone else. <laughs> I'd have to ask I my, mean, my wife. So far, you said, you said like dreams died. Yeah. Which is like, wait, uh, why the hell do you think your dream died? Well, I'm, revi- I, I'm reviving it now that I'm over 40 because it's sort of like you can run as a master's and it breathes some new life into your ability to like you know, maybe get on a podium here or there or something. So, yeah. yeah. But I also think if you look at the grand scheme of your life yeah, and that look, you don't need my advice, but I, I'm, I'm first off, I'm saying this cause I'm inspired by you and you're telling me things like, Oh, I did that. I don't know. That was kind of, but like, if you look at the grand scheme of your life, do you think that like kind of every little hill, whatever running analogy I'm going to use, it's going to sound yeah. awful. Do you think that's also kind of just preparing you for like the larger thing that oh, you're doing? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, so I, then I'm, it's not I'm, a failure. I'm doing my dream job right now. I mean, I'm yeah. 100% like, yeah. you know, there aren't a lot of people that start startups and raise money from VCs who are like, no, no, I just want to, I want to retire doing this. You Dude, know, you're like, every, like yeah. Everyone wants to sell it. And I'm like, man, I have kids. I, I want to hand this down to my kids someday. You're doing you know? this. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it's all part of the puzzle for sure. For sure. But, um, and there are some great analogies of running, in <laughs> running. There, right? Like the whole concept of delayed gratification is like one of my favorite, favorite things to talk about. You yeah. Know, you know, the study from like where they gave the kids, you know, you could have one marshmallow now, or you could have two marshmallows if you wait 20 minutes. No, hit me. Yeah. So, so there's this famous, uh, social, uh, psychology experiment and they basically brought kids into a room and said, Hey, here's, you can have a marshmallow. Um, if you wait 20 minutes, I think it was 20 minutes, something like that, you can have two marshmallows. And then they followed these kids for 30 years and they found that the kids who were willing to sort of delay the gratification and say, I'll wait to have two, those kids did better on test scores and got into better colleges and had better careers. And now in hindsight, now they've gone back and debunked it a teeny bit because they've also looked at the upbringing. And so kids that had a more secure childhood were more willing to take risks and do things because they knew they could fall back on, you know, their family was secure. These were kids who didn't think about where am I going to get my next meal or whatever. Right. And so some of the other kids who took the one marshmallow sort of said, oh, they came from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so there's some things that maybe have sure that, but the concept of delayed gratification is, you know, yeah, that is really fascinating. And running is that you don't go out on the first day. I mean, you're getting, you're, you're running, you know, the first day you decided like, I'm going to do this. You didn't, you didn't set any records, you know, it takes, it takes a long 
time to sort of yeah to get there. So so you you you're trying to get your MBA. You're like nah, I don't know. Yeah. And when when does Tracksmith come along? So so there were there were a couple projects I did. So one was one was the podcast, which I did with Runnersville, a, a, a dear a dear friend Tony Revis, who for many years is the voice of of running on TV. He, commentator for the Boston Marathon. He, he actually had a radio show in Boston uh, in like the 70s um, that was on the radio all about running for like an hour on Sundays, you know. That's how big running in Boston was back then that you could actually sure. get an hour slot on, <laughs> on local radio, you know, to have a show. It's amazing. Um, and uh, so that was interesting. It was fun, you know. Um, and then I started doing these projects that were I don't, it's really hard to describe them. They were kind of like mini documentaries that took place on the internet. So Mm -hmm. the first one I did was called Chasing Tradition. And I basically, I spent 11 weeks at 11 different NCA colleges with the cross country team. And it was just me. I, I booked all 11 weeks. I traveled by myself. I'd show up, you know, meet the kids, meet the coach, and I'd stay with the athletes. And I basically, it was kind of a blog, but I also did some video and I also took some photos and I wasn't particularly good at any of those things individually, but it was really the first time anybody like dug deep into these programs of like how these athletes train and live. And, you know, it it was really interesting. So that, so it went on for 11 weeks and it culminated at the NCAA championships. And I followed at the time, these were, these were like the best teams in the country, um, so that was just this little project that I did that then led to um, a guy who became a very close friend and my employer, um, this guy, Tom Radcliffe, who had worked in running for a very long time, um, representing athletes. And he said, hey, do you want to come do this? I have some of the best Kenyan marathoners in the world. And I was like, absolutely. So, um, so I did the same thing. That was chasing Kimbia, which is the Swahili word for run. Mm-hmm. So I would live with them and they had a, a training camp in Boulder, Colorado and in Eten, Kenya. And so I did the same thing. I sort of documented their training and their lifestyle building up to Chicago Marathon, New York City Marathon, et cetera. Um, and um, so, yeah. So, and, and then after that, I, that led to another, I did actually like two or three seasons of that following these, these. So athletes. you were making like 30 for 30 runners. <laughs> yeah. But re- poorly from a production standpoint, but you know, no one, this was, uh, I mean, you, you got, you'd have to like know, know the running internet pretty well, but like this was, there wasn't much out there at this time, you know? Right. So for people who were like looking for this stuff, it was, it was gold. And so it's a very small, but, but very loyal audience, you know? And, yeah. um, and so anyway, I did a couple seasons of that. And then the New York Roadrunners asked me and Tony to do the same thing for the Olympic marathon trials, which were held in New York City in 2007. This was before the 2008 Olympics. Um, so yeah, so I, so I did these little, these little web documentary things and, um, and then went to Puma from there. Um, and I worked at Puma for a little over four years. Um, and then the tracksmiths, you know, idea really got to a point where I was like, I think I'm ready to do it. So. Well, and so what's, what's that like? I, I'd say, cause there are two things that I wanted to call out from some of this. Um, I think a lot of people, when you see something as sleek as Tracksmith, your site, everything. And when you think about the, the world out there right now, and there's a lot of these sort of new brands and, you know, I think, some, you know, you don't use this marketing, so I don't mind using it, but it's like, it's really trite of like, 
we wanted to find a better way to do X. Yeah. We got tired of genes. No one makes the perfect gene. Like, you know what? No one makes the perfect gene because no one wants the perfect gene. Yeah. Everyone wants this and this. And, but I think there are a lot of things that come with these companies, or, or excuse me, that are missing from those companies that it really appears that is pretty strong at Tracksmith. And that is the obsession that I'm hearing of running. I mean, the fact that like, yeah, you ran, you ran school. Yeah, you always were still running. You were doing other things. But then like you got so into running. Yeah, you're making a podcast about running. I mean, I've made a podcast. You just, you only do it because you're so obsessed with something. You just want to continue creating it. And then you're making these mini documentaries. I mean, do, do you think, do you think like this became a way that it enhanced you as a runner? Was this, or you know, like while you're sitting alongside like the greatest runners in the world, like you're just literally observing everything that they're doing? Yeah. I mean, at that, you know, at that point, I didn't, I, my aspirations of like being this amazing runner had definitely, you know, gone away. So to me, it was more like that was the evolution of me within running, right? Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be in the Olympics and I, even in college, I still thought maybe I can get there. Mm -hmm. But then sort of like, you know, that I didn't have the, the, the talent to do that. But I think I found other ways to sort of continue to evolve within running. And, um, so it's certainly all of those things had a massive impact. Um, but like being around those runners wasn't so much. I mean, it was very motivating and sure. I did train a lot and I, you know, like it was You're crazy. like running with them. They're like, we're going to do 50 miles a day. And you're like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> I mean, living with those, I mean the, the Kenyans too, not to, to sidetrack, but I mean, sure. it's a very, um, it's a very simple and almost excruciatingly boring lifestyle. I mean, it was like, wake up in the morning and go train, come home, sit in the yard and drink tea all morning, take a nap, eat some food, go run again, you know, really? eat some food watch some music videos and go to bed, you know, for weeks on end. Yeah. So, um, so you get, but you get in, I mean, when you buy into that and you, you sort of just, I mean, I was also writing and doing a lot of things while I was there. So when they're just sort of like chilling, I'm in the sure. room, you know, hacking away at my keyboard. But when you sort of just like let yourself get sucked into that world, you're like, oh man, this is pretty nice. There's not, you know, you're in the middle of Kenya. There's, uh, you know, I couldn't do anything. There's nothing, you know, you couldn't even, to get on the internet, you had to go to this like cafe in El Duret, which was like, you know, 45 minute drive, 60 minute drive away. So you're unplugged, you know, and, yeah. and so you just sort of like, you adopt the lifestyle. That's it's, incredible. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Burrow. Burrow is rethinking how people shop for and live with their furniture by making high-quality sofas and chairs that are customized online, ship for free in one week, and set up in minutes. I set up my chair in five. Not kidding. Ever since I got my Burrow, it's been the only place I sit at home, and it's perfect for me. It's got a built-in USB charger so I can keep my phone charged, and I was able to customize it exactly to my liking on their site. Low armrests, deep blue, and dark wood legs. It's the center of the Blamo Command Center, y'all. I'm sitting in it right now and I feel like a boss. But seriously, all Burrow furniture is made with sustainably sourced hardwood and is scratch and stain resistant, so you can actually live with your furniture, not baby in panic anytime someone comes over. Burrow was recently named one of the best inventions of 2018 by Time Magazine, and you can get $75 off your award-winning Burrow sofa by visiting burrow.com forward slash Blamo. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com forward slash Blamo to get $75 off your order. Thanks again to Burrow for supporting the show. 
So you you spend some time at Puma, and yeah. you're finally like, what what like what worlds aligned where you were like, okay, I think I'll take the risk, yeah, of starting a company. So um, the running piece for sure, where I felt like I had Puma to me was sort of like a a necessary step in the journey because most of my experience within running was as a consumer or in more of a like startup media type of 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 way mm-hmm. and puma was big global you know yeah company and so i sort of took my time there to just try to learn as much as i could um and so the what sort of came together was feeling like i had the experience combined with life right because you got also it's not not every time in your life is a great time to try to start a company but at the time felt like it was right um, my wife had a, had, and still does has, has a very good job. And, um, she had the benefits. So yeah, had the benefits, <laughs> had the benefits. And, uh, we had had our first child. So our daughter was maybe like one, I okay. guess about, about one when, um, when I quit, but I did something, um, I think was pretty smart. So I, you know, I didn't want to just say to my wife, I'm going to quit. I have no no money. I'll be. I won't get paid. This is going to take me a long time to figure this out. Yeah. So when I was at Puma, I was fortunate enough to work alongside Usain Bolt for my four ish years that I was there. Yeah, he's and a good guy. He's he's <laughs> he's a fast guy. Um, and so I got to know him professionally, but also personally. I mean, I traveled around the world with him for a lot of that time, and um, he was a huge video game guy. And so I was I had this idea in the back of my head. I'm like, man, maybe I can give myself a little bit of time to work on Tracksmith and a little bit of money. And so what happened was I flew down to Jamaica and had lunch with Usain and said, I, I want to I start this running company. But before that, I want to do a video game with you leading up to the 2012 Olympics, which were in London. And he was like, you know, let's do it. So wrote up a contract, his agent, business partner, everyone, you know, was like, yep, this is cool. Let's do it. So we made this video game. It's called Bolt. Uh, I found so basically my role was I got them to agree, structured the the terms of of the arrangement, and then I went out and found some game developers to actually build the game. Um, I I got Gatorade to come on board as a sponsor of the game, which is where the revenue came in, which we kind of all split. Call know. back to the original life story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now you're working with Gatorade. Now I'm working with Gatorade. It comes full circle. <laughs> Not doing R and D in a lab, but uh, making a children's hey man, you're video there. game. But um, so anyway, yeah. So we launched we launched Bolt like three weeks before the 2012 Olympics, which you know he's he's the star or one of like three stars of the Olympics. So yeah, the game goes crazy. You know, it's uh, gets to number one in the iTunes Store in a lot of countries. It was an Not iPhone the US. game. It was an iPhone game. Yeah, yeah. Um, not in the U.S., but in a lot of other countries, um, you know, top ten in a lot of places. And so, yeah. So once once the game was like developed and you know ready to launch, I, I was spending a lot more time on Tracksmith. I just sort of got things going. I just sort of was the architect of putting the pieces together of the Bolt game. I was it your developer? I, was it your idea to be to make the game? It was my idea to make the game. The game we actually made was not my my choice. I had a different concept for the sure. game, but. But the game got made. Um, but yeah, it was my idea to, to do the game. But then I found some other people that could actually do it. And they were like, your, your idea is cool, but <laughs> our idea is we've, got, we've got to make sure. it this way. It wasn't so much better. Yeah. It was more they had the like 
the they had the gaming mechanism in place to make a certain style of game. Oh, okay. And so to develop my concept was like totally new development for them, and they just weren't willing to take that on, given That's, the time frame we had. So there's a, a few things that, again, that I'm like kind of seeing here. So you, you just do stuff. <laughs> if you're like, yeah, I want to, I mean, many people, I'll, I'll pick on a friend of mine, for example, for example, uh, for him to do anything, well, I need to have everything on board. I need to have my lists made. I need to have all my supplies. Like, you know, he, yeah. he's a project manager, yeah. but he's never going to, he's never going to go forward. He's yeah. never going to actually make it yeah. because, well, you know what? I could, I might be able to make this better. So I'm just going to stop. And you're like, well, no, you're never going to do it. And I think with you, so you have this passion for running. So, so passion, you're constantly studying, you're spending time with everyone. Then you're hanging out with the greatest one, of, probably the greatest runner in history. And then you're also like, oh, he's into video games. Let's make a game. I'll do it. You weren't like, well, what if he doesn't like it? Or what if, you know, Apple doesn't let us do that? You just do things. I mean, that, that's, I think the fact that like all of these things happen, like, dude, you were like made to do Tracksmith. Like this is, so. this is in your blood, man. I think so. I mean, they're all like calculated risks though. You know, it's like with, Bolt, I don't know, right. It was like, okay, I had the idea. Step one, get him to agree, you know? So it's like you have the world's greatest athlete who says, yeah, let's make a video game. Are you not going to do it? You know? So, I mean, yeah, I guess the like, yeah, original you'd say, on. well, no, it's my name. And well, what if it's yeah. not done and, and they don't like it. And then I, then they're not friends with me. Yeah. There's a gajillion reasons yeah, I could tell you I you shouldn't have done it. It's great. That goes, that goes back to like the, not to go back to the childhood thing, but it's kind of like when you see people, I don't know, not, I don't want to say fail, but if you see people like, you know, not achieve what they want and they just figure out how to make do, it's sort of like, okay, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if yeah. the bolt game doesn't succeed? You know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if Tracksmith doesn't succeed? Like, it's not the end of the world. So, no, I don't you, know. Yeah, I, that's, that's incredible. So, it's what, 2012 that you do Tracksmith? Yeah, it's when I kind of started. A little bit before I was, I was tinkering. Um, and really, I started looking at everything and running. So I was looking at, you know, apparel and footwear and accessories. But I also looked a lot at, like, uh, events and technology, media, um, to try to figure out where the, like, the entry point was uh, to the market and where the opportunity was. And... That's where men's apparel, specifically men's running apparel, sort of of all those things I was looking at, it seemed like the um, the easiest point of entry to come in and do something quite distinct in a relatively short period of time. Because at the time, if you could go back and go into a running store and look at the men's clothing in 2010, you know, 11, and 12, Mm-hmm. everything looked the same. I mean, if you took the logos off of, of a, a t-shirt or of a pair of running shorts or a long sleeve or something, you'd have a really hard time knowing which brand it was from. And that's because there's a legacy in running where footwear is king at most of those brands. Footwear drives the, the pure running brands. And right. then women's apparel was becoming way more competitive because of the rise of Lululemon and Athleta and some other women-specific brands. And so men's apparel was sort of like... Uh, I don't want to say it was the bottom of the barrel, but it was the least amount of resources were going into it at those other brands. If you were a great designer or developer, you were working on footwear or you were getting pulled onto the women's apparel team, you know, so that was just like the, okay, there's a chance to just come in here and do something that aesthetically looks and feels very different and very distinct, which was like the hypothesis was 
you know, running has a lot of brands that have been around for a long time. They're huge brands. There's a lot of money involved. It's a huge market. So you have to come in, establish a brand quickly that feels authentic, incredible, and maybe like it's been around longer than it actually has, or maybe it's a little bit bigger than you, you actually think it is. Um, and so there were just a lot of decisions we made early on on how to do that, on how to establish a brand that felt like it was maybe bigger and older than you thought it was. Yeah. I mean, as you're saying that, like that, that definitely feels like tracksmith to me. But I, I think the fact that I could align to your guys' brand, the, that the product isn't as important as the story and the identity itself. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was the other piece of it, right? Was there was the product piece and the sort of design and aesthetic. Um, there's also the whole thing that, you know, lots of direct to consumer brands talk about where when you don't have wholesale margins, you get to play with better raw ingredients, right? Like we we can choose fabrics, you know, we work with Scholar and we work with some, the best Merino suppliers. I mean, we can just use better ingredients than the other brands because predominantly they're wholesale driven and they have to play within the price structures of those wholesale channels. Um, but then there was also this whole sort of like cultural element where all of the other brands and this was sort of like the another genesis of of the idea for me was you know growing up in the in the 80s and 90s um brands like nike really spoke to me as a runner they were they were you know marketing and advertising and all the things they were doing like running was was definitely right i mean obviously like basketball with jordan and stuff became a huge part of their brand but running was still like at the heart of it and as time went by and these brands got bigger, they sort of watered down the running piece of it. They either watered yeah, it down. Yeah, Nike was started on running. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So was Puma. So was Adidas, yeah. you know. Um, the Dassler brothers were making track spikes for Olympic athletes. You know, I mean, that's how it started. And then soccer boots and stuff. But um, so. They were but, watering it down, you said. Yeah, wa- watering it down from like a, um, e- either they were going into other sports. And so running just became less important. Or they got so big through predominantly like specialty running stores. You're like mom and pop running store, you know, like ASICs got to a point where they just couldn't get any more revenue out of that channel. And so the next big swath of customers is like the couch to the 5k runner (laughs) or the, the fitness person who's just like, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good or I want to lose a couple pounds or whatever. They're not sort of the core runner who's like really invested in, sport and the process and the history and the culture. And so that was the other big like opening was like, okay, huge market, huge brands, but none of them are talking directly to this customer anymore and really sort of like building products and and designing experiences and stuff with that customer in mind because they sort of were forced into these other, you know, other approaches, which is just like, that's the life cycle of growing as a brand, I guess. But we had the opportunity to sort of, you know, stick to that. Right. And it sounds like you're kind of answering a question before I can even ask. So it sounds like you're probably not going to ever go to other sports. No, no. And it's <laughs> just because of, do you think like the market's that big or is that? Um, I mean, the market's that big for yeah. sure. Um, and the I'm other... not telling you to go to other sports, by yeah, the way. Yeah, no, no. I mean, uh, I, I guess I would never say never. I mean, I zero interest in looking at any other sports because. I think you, where other brands decide to go wider 
and go into other sports, yeah. I think we could go deeper. I think you go more vertical within running. And that's why I mentioned before when I was first looking, when I was looking at like events and media and technology and even travel and things like that, there's so much out there just within running. And, you know, that's the ultimate vision is to really be like a lifestyle running brand. So going outside of that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't have any, any interest. Um, in doing that. I think there's things you could apply right. to other sports that well, we've done, but you said, Chad Smith wouldn't go into other sports. Yeah. I mean, you said lifestyle and I think if you, if you just stick on lifestyle and then, you know, your core identity of running, I think you're fine. Right. I mean, cause there are tracksmith pieces that I have that I, you know, I, so I, um, I'm, I have very square shoulders mm-hmm. and because of that, I, pretty much only like to wear raglan sleeve yeah sweatshirts anything like that if you look at a lot of sweatshirts these days especially all the premium stuff nothing is raglan sleeve yeah but your guys merino thing that you just released the other day i knew this because when i was telling you earlier and i had all my tabs open yeah i had to sign myself up for when it was going to be available and i got the email the other day but um like i would buy that and i would just wear that to work yeah you know and and i think if you can you can get both of those pieces. Like, you know, you're wearing it while you're in the sport and you're wearing it while you're not participating in the sport, but you still identify as a person who, who is in that sport. Like you're, you're good. I mean, do you think that's, you guys will go maybe deeper into more, what do you call it? Like the clubhouse or like off the track or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because the word lifestyle, if you work in the industry, can mean so many different things. Oh, right? yeah, it's like scary. It can, lifestyle can mean like <laughs> non-performance. You know, like at, yeah. at Puma, you had the performance and the lifestyle. The lifestyle was like nothing you could actually exercise in the performance. And uh, lifestyle to me, the way I use it in this context is like the lifestyle of the runner. Like what does a runner need? Runner's not running all the time. And so that gives us the freedom to make a sweatshirt or a piece that's not designed specifically for running, but it has provenance at running. It comes from running. You know, I I have a coach's jacket that I wore down here, you know, like that, that style came from the sport and there's no, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to explore those sort of things that are outside of pure performance. And we just don't, you know, we don't separate them. We don't talk as a team like, oh, let's make some you know, non-running stuff. To us, it's all running. It all comes from the sport. And sportswear has a, you know, centuries old tradition of like making stuff that's just comfortable and you want to <laughs> wear to work or on a Sunday or, yeah. you know, so um, it gives us great latitude that way. You know, we would never do things that don't have, like if we can't tell a story about why we made it and why, where it comes from, we would never make it. You know, like I, I couldn't come up with a story about denim, you know? But I can a coach's jacket, or I I even could with a blazer. I mean, every high school and college team has a banquet at the end of their year, and they get dressed up, and it's formal, and you wear and and you wear a blazer. So like, those are the the types of ideas and like concepts that we see as sort of I don't know you know fair game for us to explore. Right. And so you have a store like a retail store in Boston, and then you guys have been doing the pop up at Rowing Blazers. Yep. How did that? like come about because I, I do feel that for a lot of these brands, they want, you know, you do want to have some form of a physical presence and it looks like you're doing that. Yeah. I mean, we knew when we started, um, 
you know, it was never, there's been a lot of brands that came before us that were like, no, no, e-com only, we'll never do stores. And now they're doing stores. Yeah. We never, I mean, we always planned because running is, it's the unique position that we're in is that, you know, adults are actually doing the thing that we sell product for, right? Like if you sell a pair of uh, glasses or you sell khaki pants, you know, outside of when you need new glasses or you need new pants, you're not really like, you're not going to events, you're not, you know, you're not consuming content or media about it, you know. I mean, there's some things like watches and stuff that have these really interesting subcultures, but, you know, we're, we're in, a, in an industry where people are actually, like, doing the activity. And so that physical engagement was always something that was, was important to us. It's just we weren't ready to open a store on day one, so it took us some time. But we did a lot of pop-ups in Boston um, in the same neighborhood and even in the same space that actually is our, our permanent store. That was our very first pop-up we ever did. Um, was on the first floor of the space that we're in now. So we knew it well. We knew the neighborhood. We knew you know what, mm-hmm. what to expect. Um, and now we're sort of like, you know, we're, we're establishing that in Boston and We've done a couple pop-ups now in New York. Um, we did one in Chicago for, yeah, the, for the Chicago marathon. marathon. Um, so, yeah, just trying to, you know, find more ways to let people experience Tracksmith in person rather than just online is important to us. Yeah, because, I mean, there is a, a communal, like a community aspect of it, of, of you know, going there and running. I um, have always run by myself. Yeah. Um, but as like, you know, we were talking earlier where I'm like, I'm trying to be a better runner. I'm trying to run more and push myself. I can only push myself so far. And, you know, I've gone running with a friend of mine recently and it's totally changed how I run. And I'm like, I need to run with people more because this, you know, this guy was being like, hey, let's, let's keep going. And I'm like, no, no, I usually stop right now. Yeah. This, the timer's done, buddy. Yeah. I'm done. He's like, no, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And I'm like, I should be running with people all the time. And I mean, you guys do these meetups. You, you're doing them at the Rowing Blazers pop-up where it was like, what, once a week you were doing yeah. these running sessions? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think running can be very personal in terms of like with a group or, or by yourself. Um, but there is a resurgence in running for sure that's happening right now. Yeah. And I think a huge driver of that is sort of a resurgence in clubs and teams and groups um the old sort of system was clubs that kids that ran in college would join and so with that came the culture and the identities of college track and cross-country runners which is great but it's different than what's happening now which is people who may be a little later to running in life didn't run on a college team you know yeah and a lot of it's happening in major metropolitan areas. So you're getting the creative class, you're getting all these really interesting folks getting into running in their late twenties and and thirties, um, and doing it in sort of a group setting. They're still running hard. Like you said, you're running maybe further than you would have if you were out there by yourself. There's some good examples in New York city of these run crews and, and various clubs, and they're going to the track and running intervals and they're pushing themselves. It's not like a it's not a different type of running. It's just that these groups are popping up and I think it's bringing more and more people into it. It's bringing more and more people into the sport who maybe didn't do it in high school and college. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, is there any other stuff you'd like to add or mention before we wrap up? I, I want to hear about your running. I want like, where, where are you in your, you want to hear oh, this process? I'm yeah, happy. Like, where on your journey are you? Um, so I never want to run a marathon. Okay. Cause 
I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's fun to me. Yeah. Um, for me, I want to uh, run fast. Yep. Because, uh, first off, have you ever seen the movie Heavyweights? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, add it to your to-do okay. on, on your, your long to-do okay. list. But there's a movie called Heavyweights that is, um, is uh, Ben Stiller's first big movie. It is also the first Judd Apatow movie. It's a Stephen Brill movie. It's a Disney movie okay. about kids that go to fat camp. Okay. And they go to fat camp, and, um, but like one of the things is like all of them want to go fast. They all want to be fast. And uh, I never went to fat camp, but my goal for myself was always to just be faster. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I ran the mile in school, in elementary school, I was always like usually the last. There's a guy named Steven Rose. I still remember him because he always won. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what he's doing now. Yeah. Steven, if you're out there, what's up, man? Uh, <laughs> but he, you know, so for, for me, my running goal is to just go a little bit faster. See, that's, that's why I, I feel like maybe part of your connection to Tracksmith comes from that desire to want to get faster, you know, because that's like running, running is amazing for a lot of reasons. And you can go out 20, 30 minutes a day, three days a week. And you're going to feel really good. Not the first week. Like it takes a while. If you're going from zero, it takes a while, right? Yeah. But eventually after a month of that, you're going to be like, man, I feel good mentally, physically, you know. And, but then once you do that, you're like, wait, is there, is there more here? You know, like you're just kind of scratching the surface. And, and then it's really once you're like, wow, I want to, how do I get faster? You know, how do I, and it doesn't, and I think that's, you know, you've said the word elitist. I think sometimes people feel like a lot of the perception early on was that we were elitist and it's sort of like, it's not elitist. It's just that there are plenty of people and plenty of brands who will speak to someone who just wants to go out and jog for 20, 30 minutes, you know, but like, we're here for you when you're ready to take the next step, you know, like that's to us what that lifestyle of like training to get faster. There's things that come with that mentality that just open up a whole new world of, of running, not only just running, but like your own personal self of like making yourself better and pushing your limits and like discovering things about yourself that you had no idea existed, you know, and running can really unlock a lot of that for people. And so I, it's, I think it's more so, I'm hoping it's more so that than like, oh man, I put on the singlet and I, I think I'm faster, you know, it's not that it's that you're like, you've made this commitment to be, you know, I, I want to get, I want to get faster and it doesn't matter. Like we're like, we never talk about how fast or how far you run to us. It's much more like that psychographic of, okay, running is important to me and mm-hmm. my identity and I'm going to commit some of my time to it to get faster. And if that describes you, then that's someone that we want to sort of engage with as a brand. So that's really interesting. Well, Matt, thank you. Thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for this. This was a joy and a pleasure. Thanks a lot. We'll, we'll, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care, man. You too. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by Tan Lines. If you like the show, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or email us at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Just email us and say, hey, I want to join the Slack and we'll get you in. Thanks again. We'll see you soon.